pause for a moment. Let's just soak this moment in. Let's not be in a rush. I don't want to cry before I preach. But Lord, there's no one but you. When everything is falling apart, there's no one but you. When I'm feeling alone, I am never really alone because there's no one but you. When I'm sick and my body is failing me and I struggle to get out of bed, there is no one but you. When the enemy is coming against me and it feels like with everything that he's got, there is no one but you. When I'm hungry and I'm cold, there is no one but you. No one but you. And so God, this morning, we wanna give you all the glory and all the praise that you chose us You hung on a cross for us. No one but you. No one. I will never let a rock cry out louder than me. There is no one but you, Jesus. And we love you, Lord. And we give you all the glory and all the praise that you deserve this morning, as feeble and small as it might feel. Jesus, we welcome you into this place. Come inhabit in our presence today, Jesus, we pray. We welcome you, Jesus, God Almighty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our provider. There is no one like you. And we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in your mighty name, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. There's no other place to be on a Sunday. Sometimes it's nice to still be in bed in your pyjamas, but um, this morning, with the presence of God, no other place. So you can take your seats. Wow, what a morning. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's interesting, um, a few of us in presenting a message on Revelation in the last few weeks have mentioned the intimidation of talking from this letter. Me, I'm no exception. Um, I have in the past avoided this book because I felt like it's a bit too high and lofty. And over the years, there's been very many weird and wonderful things that have come out of this book of Revelation. You kind of think, I don't know, I don't know. But during COVID, I've actually read Revelation quite a few times. And I'm glad that we get a chance to go through these letters. And I love that we've been reminded that Revelation is from the word apocalypsis, you know, the unveiling of Jesus and his word. God is a God who wants to make himself known to us. And interwoven through the imagery and the prophetic of this book is a God who knows us and a God who has a plan for us. You know, from the outset, this book tells me that my God is in control. (laughs) He has a plan. He is at work and that he is my victor. And, you know, the seven letters to the seven churches have been a little bit challenging. I know that they've challenged me. But, you know, sometimes we fear a little bit of challenge. You know, in our humanness, we don't like feeling uncomfortable. 
And I've learned that being a Christian, a serious Christian and walking the Christian life, it is not comfortable. (laughs) It's not. And I've loved getting an insight into these letters because, you know, it's a shake-up for us to not be complacent. A shake-up for us to take our walk of faith seriously. And a shake-up to really question, where does Christ sit in our lives? Is he truly God in our lives or is it just a nice sentiment and something that we can tick a box on and say, you know, I've got that down pat now. And I think this season, and I'm speaking to myself here as well, is to take our walk with God seriously and to hold on to his word and to hold on to his teachings in a world that is very fast becoming a difficult place to be in terms of standing up for our faith. You know, remember, we've already looked at um, chapter 1, verse 3 in Revelation. It says, blessed is the man who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So there's blessing in this book when we read it, understand it and apply it. It's showing what is to come and is reminding us that there's an ending and it's coming. (laughs) Jesus will return and these things will happen soon. And Jeremiah 29, 11, remember, this is our key scripture for the year. Hope and a future. Hope and a future. And when we read these scriptures, these letters, the challenges and all that goes with it, we read with that hope in mind. Hope and a future. So let me just quickly read to you the letter. This is to the Church of Philadelphia. And so if you've got your Bible... Um, and you're reading along, it's chapter 3, verse 7. And it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep from you the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the the word Philadelphia actually means brotherly love. And this little city that this church was in was a very strategic city and it sat as the gateway to the rest of the world. So in terms of influence, it was the gateway for spreading the Greek culture and the Greek philosophy to the rest of the world, but also as a missionary city for the gospel to go out. This city also suffered from earthquakes and so even though it would have been a thriving city, it wasn't without its dangers and you can imagine how devastating an earthquake would have been for them back in those days. The church in Philadelphia wasn't necessarily a large one and these Christians were ostracised and persecuted and by some of the resident Jews. And I guess from reading this letter we get the sense that these Jews were cruel and judgmental 
And they were challenging these Christians because of who they were in their relationship with Christ. And so we have this bustling, thriving city strategically placed with heavy Greek influence, Christian influence and Jewish influence. And so it's a real melting pot. And I guess you could say there were lots of voices in that city. And I think it's interesting that um, part of this letter today talks about persecution and it's not a mistake in one respect that I get to talk on this today. For many of you who know me know that I've worked on and off for many years for Voice of the Martyrs, an organisation that was set up by a persecuted Christian, Richard Wormbrand, and he wanted a voice out there for people who do suffer for their faith. And so this letter to the church addresses the faithfulness of these Christians who have held on in spite of persecution, in spite of opposition, and in spite of weakness. So many stories that I read and know about persecuted Christians, those who are being punished and tortured and arrested and ostracized and rejected and ridiculed in the name of Jesus is astounding. And currently there are over 50 countries today where being a Christian is actually difficult and sometimes at the cost of your own life. And you know, even in spite of this, these Christians today, blow after blow, arrest after arrest, kidnap after kidnap, many of these are still faithful and are ready to go out and share Jesus. Without compromise, without wavering and without second guessing, just like this little church in Philadelphia. And I think there are two key reasons why. They do this. Firstly, because of their revelation of who Christ is to them. Is our revelation of Christ so great that we are willing to sacrifice anything for him? It's a challenge. And then because of that revelation, they understand the power of the gospel and know that it needs to get out at the cost of themselves. I just want to quickly share a story from our March newsletter. And this is a story of a young gentleman by the name of Jamal. He grew up in the Islam faith and would take great delight in debating with other Christians. And he came across a a young man who had converted from Islam to Christianity called Jonas. And over time and over the years, between their debates, Jamal became a Christian. And he says this, I heard a new... I can, if, if the Islamists, rather, had heard and knew I converted to Christianity, immediately they would shoot me. <laughs> then Jamal's family began to notice a change in him. Brothers and the father got together and beat and tortured Jamal in an attempt to persuade him back to Islam. <laughs> but I love this. Jamal's love for Jesus sustained him through the persecution. He said, I would rather die than deny Jesus, he said to his brothers. Now the family then tried to go out and kill him again and they destroyed his possessions. Jamal then got married and his family was still after him and they found his house and burnt it down. So to this day, his family are still after him. And although he's lost everything, he he hopes God will use his new life found in Christ for his glory. And Jamal says this, the first thing that I've got is eternal life. Even now, if they are coming to kill me, to behead me, I will give myself for the sake of Christ. If Muslims, after they saw that I was beheaded for the sake of Christ, believe through that, it is worth it to give my life to Christ. 
Wow. And I feel like this little letter to the Church of Philadelphia was written for the persecuted church today in some ways. An encouragement to them in their walk of faith. You know, here in Australia, we don't face that torture or death, but we are living in times where faith as Christians is going to be challenged more and more. We will be ridiculed. It will be put to the test. You know, the circumstances even that we face in our day-to-day lives test us also. So this letter is both an encouragement and warning to us in our walk of faith. You know, in the face of opposition and persecution, in the face of trials in our own life, will we endure? Will we hold on to Jesus and his word? So I'd love to just dive in and break down this letter to the Church of Philadelphia. And we know from the previous weeks that Jesus introduces himself to each of the churches in a particular way for a reason. So verse 7, he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Jesus is saying here that he is the one who is holy and true, not the teachings in the city, not the words of the persecutors or the philosophies of the day, not the voices of the world, but Jesus himself. And Jesus is not just the source of truth, but he is the truth. And we're reminded in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so you can imagine the noise in this bustling city. Amidst all the voices in the busy, busy, bustling city, Jesus is reminding this church, his voice is the authority. His voice is the source of truth. He is reminding them of where their source of truth comes from. So let me ask you this, what voices are you listening to? Are they the words of him who is holy and true or are they the opinions of others? Is Facebook or TikTok or whatever determining what you hold as being true? You know, these last few years have really shown us through the shake-up of COVID that turning to him who is holy and true has never been more necessary and important for us. It's really revealed in all of us what we do hold as true. What have we been truly listening to? And from the beginning today, if you've neglected him who is holy and true, it's just as simple as saying, God, please forgive me, and then pivot and turn. I know that's a buzzword. And and go on the right path. It's that simple. The letter goes on to say in verse 7, who holds the key of David. The key of David speaks of authority. Jesus holds the key. No one else. Whatever they were facing, Jesus is reminding them that not only is he holy and true, but he is the authority. He is the one in charge. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of so many opinions and contradictory teachings, what a great reminder. And the same is for us. Our world is just as busy, just as bustling, with so many contradictory voices and opposition and counter-Christian culture, what a great comfort to us and a reminder that Jesus is in control. Continuing on in verse 7, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Not only does Jesus hold the key, but he also opens and shuts the door. Jesus is the gatekeeper. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who decides, not the authorities of the city again, not the persecutors of the day, but Jesus. And what that speaks for us today is that in the whirlwind of life circumstances, when we feel like we're caught up in the storms of life, 
There is Jesus, grounded, strong, decisive, sure, in control, the orchestrator, the deliverer, not my circumstances, not the enemy, not the popular opinions of the age, but Jesus. So when we feel like life is out of control, there is Jesus, my saviour, standing at the door with the keys and an open door to opportunity, to healing, to breakthrough, to deliverance, to salvation or whatever it is you're hoping for. Matthew 7, 7 reminds us to ask, seek and knock. Think about that then in light of this letter. (laughs) We can be confident in this scripture because it is Jesus who holds the key and Jesus who opens the door. He is the one who affords us the opportunity. Verse 8 goes on to say, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut And we know that in each of these letters, Jesus acknowledges them where they're at. He sees, he knows, he understands. He's also reminding the church here, not only do they have an open opportunity, but it's unhindered opportunity. Can you imagine that with what they were facing? It didn't matter what the voices of the day were saying or their persecutors. It's Jesus' authority that gives the unhindered opportunity. Imagine being this little church and receiving this letter and what an encouragement it would have been for them. Jesus is in control, the ultimate authority and opportunity giver. Also that the opportunity afforded to them is still there, still available, so they have the freedom and authority to take it and pursue it. Some of us here today may need reminding of the same thing. The same Jesus who wrote the letter way back then is speaking to us today. So whatever circumstances you're facing, Jesus says, I am holy and true. Jesus is the truth amidst your circumstances, not the enemy, not your fear, not your worries. So, so far from this letter, we can say whatever issue you are struggling with, Jesus says, I hold the key of David. I am the authority over that situation, not the circumstances or the opposition. Whatever mountains you can see, Jesus says, I am the one who opens and shuts. This mountain can't stand in your way, command it into the ocean. Whatever opportunity you are seeking, Jesus says, there's an open door. No one can shut it. No circumstance, no situation, no enemy. I have given you unhindered opportunity. Maybe some of you need reminding today that there is an opportunity that you thought was lost unhindered opportunity and Jesus is saying to you no no it's still there I'm the one who has the key and I have the door open baby all you need to do is walk on through walk on through you need to walk on through and claim what is rightfully yours and I love in Romans 4.17, it tells us that we serve a God who calls things that are not as though they are. Speak it into being, call it out in faith that it will come to pass. I hope that is an encouragement for some of you today. Verse 8, it says, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The opposition this little church was facing must have felt big in, t- in comparison to where they were at. And I feel like Jesus acknowledges, I guess, where they were. Maybe what they thought about themselves, you know, little strength. This little church wasn't boastful. It didn't have all the bells and whistles. Perhaps they felt like their influence in this big city, especially against the opposition, was small. And how often does our enemy want us to think like that? 
you know, especially in light of persecution, but their reliance was on Jesus. They knew in whom their strength lay. With all they were facing, they didn't deny Jesus and they kept his word. Keep here, the word means, or comes from the word terio, meaning watch or keep. It expresses watchful care. So in the midst of opposition, when faced with a mountain, are we faithful in keeping God's word? Do we take watchful care of the word of God over our lives? Are we prone to panic? Do we want to run to Jesus or from Jesus in the midst of our trials? And I'd like to say this, we have the promise of his word. We have the promise of his presence. We have the power of who he is with us. Hebrews 13.5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. There is power in holding on to the word of God and leaning into Jesus despite your circumstances. And then here is the beauty in that faithfulness of holding steadfast. Jesus then tells the church in Philadelphia what he will do to their enemies. He will sort them out. He'll deal with them. He'll humble them. And he'll show them who is in control. Verse 9 says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And do you know that today in your life, in your circumstance, Jesus can sort it out. We don't have to strive. We don't have to work it out. We don't even have to act in retaliation. When we invite Jesus into our circumstance and hold on to his word and lean in, we can trust that things can turn around. And why? Because he loves us. He loves you. And you know what? It really does something in us and shows something and shines around us when we stand firm in Jesus and his word in spite of what has been thrown at us. It's countercultural, this faith thing. To trust and believe and hold steadfast even when you don't have the answers, even when you're being persecuted. But the fruit is eternal. I know you have little strength, City Church, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Amen. Except we are... We've got mighty strength. There is power in the keep on keeping on. There is power in the not giving up. There is fruit in the faithfulness. Resilience, reassurance, restoration and receiving is found in the remaining. Let us be a people who keep his word and not deny his name. You know, Psalm 1 talks about the tree being planted by the river whose leaves are always green and produces fruit no matter what. Because their sustenance, their strength, their reliance is in God, just like the church in Philadelphia. The letter in verse 10 goes on to say, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. Endure patiently. Hmm. How many of us can say that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of trials, we have endured it patiently? Yet here is this little church facing goodness knows what with every right to run for the hills and lose the plot. But no, they're faithful and they're committed without wavering. Patience, according to my concordances, the temper which does not easily succumb under suffering is opposed to cowardice and despondency, which means low in spirit or loss of hope and courage. As a person who is someone prone to worry, this is a challenge to me. Buzz or fly. I don't know if you saw that, but anyway. Um, 
to endure patiently in my sufferings, in my opposition, in, in the things that I face? What about you? And I'm reminded again of Jamal's story. So many like his where they emulate this scripture with such grace and humility. To endure persecution like Jamal and so many others, you know, when family or a whole village or the government even is after you to try and kill you, <laughs> to endure patiently. And I think that's a very humbling thing to think about. Yet so many stories of people today actually live this out. They have to. You know, and here is this little church in Philadelphia facing that persecution, that opposition, feeling less than. Yet they're enduring it all patiently and Jesus has taken notice. Reading this letter to the church just up the ante, I think. <laughs> My own patient endurance, Jesus takes notice. And I love that doesn't succumb under suffering. It really boils down to where our trust is, doesn't it? When facing our trials and mountains, can we say that we haven't succumbed under suffering? So why was this little church in Philadelphia able to do that? Why? Because remember back in verse 8, they kept God's word and they didn't deny Jesus' name. Because of that, their reservoir was deep. They trusted in the word of God. They lent into Jesus when it mattered. Let me say that again. They lent into Jesus when it mattered. What tests, trials and oppositions are you facing now? Make your actions matter. Let your resolve be like this little church. They held on and didn't let the storms of life blow them around. And because of that, it kept them grounded and focused amidst the noise and against the oppositions of life. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. The word of God and his presence, it anchors us, it aligns us and it holds us true when everything around us is chaotic. So therefore we can endure patiently. The second part of verse 10 says, patient endurance is rewarded by being kept from the final hour of trial. Now is this a re reference to the rapture? I'm not sure, I'm not going to go there today. But what I do know is that there is protection involved. And I think when we're walking in Christ and hold true to his word in the midst of all that goes on in our lives, we can walk in his protection from harm and from danger and from his wrath and judgment as we walk out our salvation. And I'm reminded of people like Jamal who do suffer persecution where people are against him physically, but he talks about being sustained through that. That's the protection of God. That's the sustaining of God. That's God keeping him in that moment. Psalm 91 verse 7 says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but harm will not come near you. This is just one verse from Psalm 91. But the whole passage is exactly this being kept from. Why? Because they dwelt in God. Amidst the persecution, against the battle, they made God their shelter and dwelt there. This little church in Philadelphia made Jesus their dwelling so that he becomes their fortress, their shelter and their shield. What a great encouragement for me and you today. As we make him our dwelling place, to endure patiently, he protects us and watches over us. Verse 11 of the letter, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus is saying that his return is imminent, meaning that it will be sudden. <laughs> you won't know when he comes. He's just, Boof, there he is. And he's saying the same to us today, but are we ready? 
And if not, we need to be ready. What does that look like? Stay connected to him. Hold on to his word, to him who is holy and true. And here is the warning to the church in Philadelphia. Hold on to what you're doing. Don't let it go. Don't forget it because it can be taken. It can be removed. So the church in some respects still had the danger of mucking it up. Yes, they had a pat on the back, but it's not a don't rest on your laurels kind of situation. And it's the same with us. We don't know when Jesus will return, but he will. And it will be soon. And it will be sudden. That's what you can guarantee. (laughs) So don't give up in doing what you're doing to remain faithful and remain ready. Keep going. The end of the race is coming to an end. The journey's end is nearing. And so for us today, it's a strong reminder to not let go of the things that are important. Don't let the things of life rob us to take away from us all that we've sown into and believed in. Be mindful of what can rock you. A loss of a family member, a health diagnosis, losing your job, a relationship breakdown. Don't let these things sidetrack you in your grief and in your anger or your fear. It's a strong reminder to us to hold on to what we have in Christ. Don't let those things be your undoing. Keep that crown you have so diligently served for. Verse 12, I'm nearly finished. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. That is the reward of the faithful. A pillar signifies strength and permanence. Remember, this was Earthquake City. (laughs) It signifies established authority. And the name signifies a belonging to Jesus. Jesus will show that they will belong to him. And that's a sign of the, the level of intimacy and relationship that Jesus has with the faithful in this church. The key is to overcome and Jesus is saying here is the reward waiting for you as you patiently endure despite your little strength, despite your persecution, holding on to my word and not denying my name. What beautiful imagery. (laughs) In a city of many voices, Jesus is reminding the church there is a place of permanence, authority. Nothing can remove or shake them and their beautiful intimacy with Jesus. Verse 13, very last part of the scripture says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to me, this is like a prayer. And I pray that we are a church who have ears that hear. Amen? So what's the takeaway in all of this? You see, all these letters are a warning and a challenge to us today in our walk in faith. We need to take on board the lessons and the warnings and the challenges. Jesus is coming back and God is encouraging us today through this letter to remain faithful to him, to patiently endure regardless of our circumstances. Continue to hold on to Jesus and his word and not deny his name in those tough times. Hold on and patiently endure when it matters all the time, but even more so when it matters. Don't be taken out by the voices or opposition of this world. Build a deep reservoir like this little church in Philadelphia. Stay close to God. Stay connected to him. Because ultimately his desire 
is for us to be with him. He's doing all of this for us because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to miss out on the glorious salvation he so willingly purchased for us. Amen. Well, why don't we stand? Jesus, I just thank you for your word. Lord, let us be a church who hears. Let us be a church that in the midst of all that goes on, that we don't deny your name and we hold on to your word. Lord, I pray for each and every person here this morning and whoever is watching online. Hi, mum, if you're watching, love you. I pray for everyone hearing this message today, that they would be encouraged, that you love them, that they would be encouraged to keep on keeping on. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're coming back for us. And we wait patiently holding on to you and your word until that day. In Jesus' name, amen.